Cause we got the alternative energy right. On a nuclear free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show I'm Michaela Stubbs The UN Disarmament Week runs from the 24th to the 30th of October and seeks to promote awareness and better understanding of disarmament issues and their cross-cutting importance. Today we'll be looking at the latest threat to disarmament in the region with the announcement on September 16 of the AUKUS Military Pact between Australia, the US and the UK. We'll be bringing you some of the speeches from an open forum organised by the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons to have a look at AUKUS and the nuclear submarines, which are the centrepiece of this deal. Up first, we'll hear ICANN co-founder Dimity Hawkins as MC and speakers James Bhagwan and Marion Hansen. It is my real pleasure to introduce to you our very first guest, uh, Reverend James Bhagwan. Reverend James is the General Secretary of the Pacific Conference of Churches. The PCC have had a long and proud history of standing strong on nuclear issues over many decades. Reverend Bhagwan reminds us that the most Pacific Island states strive to conduct their relationships from a place where they are friend to all, enemy to none. If only we could say the same of Australia in this current climate. Padre James, Nisambula Vinaka, and welcome. Nisambula Vinaka, thank you so much for uh, having me on. Um, excuse my a little bit out of breath as I um, travel to uh, begin my travel to COP, but it is really a, a great opportunity to um, speak on behalf of the Pacific Conference of Churches um, on this very important issue. The churches across the Pacific um, have been engaging in this uh, uh, issue since the um, the formation of the nuclear free and independent Pacific movement, and um, we we note with um, with with real concern the um, the issues around um, AUKUS. Um, which we have raised um, directly with the Australian government. Um, this is a real concern for us as we see not only um, a violation of the Rarotonga Treaty uh, in the sense that even if the countries are not signatories to the Rarotonga Treaty, for those who say they are part of the Pacific family, what does that mean when your actions violate um, decisions made by the collective, which is something that's very important for Pacific Islands. At the same time, we, we acknowledge that um, the, the Indo-Pacific militarization has a negative effect because it is, um, we have already seen the rhetoric from China in response to, um, to the proposal or, the, or, or Australia's decision or an announcement to, um, to buy nuclear submarines. And so, we recognize that this is, a, is, is going to be an issue of contention for our Pacific Island countries. It threatens our sovereignty, and it also threatens the protection of our oceans um, in, in terms of um, nuclear-powered nuclear, nuclear powered submarines traveling through our waters. And we've said it before, and we will continue to say it again, we want our Pacific Ocean to be nuclear-free, whether it is 
from nuclear weapons, nuclear waste, or nuclear-powered vessels. Thank you. Thank you so much, Reverend James. That's um, a powerful message, and it's a consistent message, as you say, over a really long period of time. These uh, the calls from the Pacific have been for a nuclear-free and independent Pacific, and that's really important. So thank you so much, and good luck with your trip to um, to speak on behalf of the Pacific at the COP as well. We'll be watching that with great interest and following your um, leadership over there with great interest. So thank you. Thank you, Let me turn now to our second speaker. She's our dear colleague and now actually the co-chair of ICANN Australia, Professor Marianne Hansen. She's a teacher and researcher, particularly in international relations at the University of Queensland. Marianne has written extensively on nuclear proliferation and disarmament issues over many, many years, and she knows well the proliferation risks that we are facing in this new agreement. So without much further ado, let me pass you over to Marianne Hansen. Thank you, Marianne. Thank you very much, Dimity, and greetings to all uh, around the world. Thank you for um, allowing me to make some comments here. I'm going to be focusing on the non-proliferation risks or the proliferation risk rather that accompany this deal there are many many ways in which we can criticize this deal diplomatically militarily but i'm going to focus here explicitly on what this means for australia's long record of supporting non-proliferation and our alleged contribution to Uh, promoting a world free of nuclear weapons. There are three ways that I think we can sort of understand these issues. The first is that this deal exploit, if it comes ahead, if if it is in fact something that we will pursue, and I'm hoping that it isn't, but the way things are going at the moment, it will certainly exploit a loophole in the non-proliferation treaty and also in the IAEA safeguards. This is because the highly enriched uranium that would be used in these nuclear subs can be diverted very easily towards a nuclear weapon. Now, our Prime Minister made it clear that these subs were not going to be equipped with nuclear weapons, they were only going to be nuclear powered. But this is, this is problematic. Uh, And I think it does raise some valid criticisms and some justifications uh, about what our intentions really are. No non-nuclear weapon state has developed nuclear submarines. Australia would be breaking with a long-held view that this should not happen. And as I say, this goes against our long record of supporting non-proliferation. As such, this deal would jeopardise our own non-proliferation credentials and we would lose any leverage that we might think we have over other states wanting to acquire sensitive nuclear technology uh, and diverting this for the purpose of nuclear weapons. A second point that I think is important to note here is that this deal is likely to lead other states to want to do the same thing. We know, for example, that South Korea uh, has been refused this technology in the past by the United States. It and Japan also are possibly considering 
asking um, for this technology to be allowed to them. Now, again, these are non-nuclear states, but the problem here is that, particularly within the context of South Korea and Japan, where there is an element within politics which is asking for these states to develop their own nuclear weapons, then we can see an issue here, a problem. If this technology is to be spread to these groups, and if it's been spread to Australia, then why shouldn't South Korea and Japan be treated similarly, one might argue. But the dangers of this material, this highly enriched uranium, uh, being diverted to weapons is, it's, it's a high danger. It's, it's too risky, put it this way. And it isn't only these states. There's a range of other states, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and a number of others who could also be looking to developing uh, nuclear-powered submarines using highly enriched uranium. A third problem here is the strategic destabilization that this deal, and in fact, the whole AUKUS proposition um, creates. It increases the risks of nuclear war. It makes it could make Australian uh, bases and indeed some of these nuclear submarines targets. Essentially, AUKUS ties us into nuclear submarines and the nuclear industry overall. Is this really what we want? It boxes us in into a specific American and British set of defence policies. And there's a great risk that we will lose some of our independence in determining how we will respond to any security threat, including one from China. Do we really want to be involved in battle plans against China? China certainly sees this deal as contributing to a US nuclear threat against China. And it is likely to have implications for how China and probably North Korea and probably Russia also configure their own war fighting plans. So these are all things that um, we have to keep in mind. I think even if the submarines don't actually happen and the proposal is something that would uh, take another 20 years or so to eventuate, the damage has been done and that is going to be very hard to roll that back. The damage done, I think, to the non-proliferation regime, the damage done to Australia's credentials as an upholder of uh, non-nuclear policies. Thank you. Thank you so much, Marianne. I think that's um, a, that last warning is a really big one. The damage has been done, and we're seeing that already. We're seeing that in the responses of certain nations who are starting to make those kinds of noises that you warn about there too as well. So it's, yeah, it's very serious, this one. You're tuned to the Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR and broadcast nationally, thanks to the Community Radio Network. We just heard from Marion Hansen, co-chair of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons in Australia. And today we're bringing you excerpts of speakers at an open forum organised by the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons on the 12th of October to discuss the nuclear submarine deal that is the centrepiece of the AUKUS military alliance between Australia, UK and US, announced on September 16. 
And next up, we hear from Professor Stephen Rotuva. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Professor Stephen Rotuva. Stephen is an award-winning political sociologist and uh, global interdisciplinary scholar, the director of the Macmillan Brown Centre for Pacific Studies at the University of Canterbury in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Stephen Nisam Bolevanaka and Kiora. Um, we're so pleased that you could join us tonight. Oh, we're level with Dimitri. Um, greetings to everybody. Uh, it's, uh, it's windy outside here in Aotearoa and uh, looks like it's going to rain. But anyway, thanks very much for the invitation. Uh, AUKUS has uh, added another layer of crisis in the geopolitical dynamics in this part of the world. And uh, certainly from the point of view of the small island states in the Pacific, uh, it's adding to the kind of layers of uh, neocolonialism. Uh, which has been part of their uh, geopolitical evolution over the years. Uh, they still remember the testing in um, by the French, by the United States, by the UK uh, in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, uh, in fact, in the 90s, and uh, the Cold War bases all around the Pacific. And uh, one would have thought that those have kind of disappeared into history. But what we're seeing now is a replay of those, uh, one of the differences, uh, those of us who were involved in the nuclear free independent Pacific movement in the early days, uh, the, the big, if you like, the big colonial powers, those involved in the nuclear game were far away, the, the French, the Americans and the British. But this time it's a bit different. It's right there on the doorstep. It's Australia is going to be a nuclear power uh, by having nuclear submarines. And uh, that changes the whole dynamics. Uh, if you're a member of the Pacific Island Forum, for instance, and then you have a nuclear power sitting beside you, that changes the whole, if you like, uh, political outlook in terms of relationship. So the, uh, uh, the, the I mean, the, uh, the original Indo-Pacific, uh, which was, you know, put together by the Quad, was a way of responding to the, uh, what they saw as the, the Chinese uh, expansionism in this part of the world, and of course, globally. And, uh, uh, the new Indo-Pacific alliance actually raises the level of uh, a militarization and tension uh, and insecurity to another level. Uh, and, uh, uh, and of course, underpinned by the kind of xenophobic, the Anglo-racial overtones, which was mentioned earlier. So often we just look at the geopolitics, the militarization aspect, uh, but you also have the underpinning racial discourse, which frame the perception uh, and which sells some of those strategic ideas. So uh, uh, the Five Eyes, for instance, so it links to the Five Eyes, which are kind of Anglo-Saxon uh, alliance, which has been in existence. So what you're beginning to see is a kind of real uh, racialization of, uh, of geopolitics in this part of the world, uh, which uh, links back to the imperial uh, expansionism of the early years. So, uh, so the intensification of the Cold War type tension uh, in, in the Pacific uh, redefined security in the Pacific in a very, very significant way. Ways uh, where small island states again they see themselves caught up between these contending big powers and trying to mobilize their support uh, by selling uh, anti-Chinese narratives or development narratives, giving aid and so forth as a means of uh, uh, gauging and mobilizing their loyalty. Now, 
one of the significant aspects here is the return of the UK, the old imperial power. Uh, and the UK, of course, uh, after Brexit, sees itself as a new global player on its own. And so the AUKUS provides it with its potential to re-engage itself in the Pacific uh, in a significant way. Uh, interestingly, France, which has been trying to uh, uh, use the original uh, Indo-Pacific as a way of expanding and entrenching its colonial interest in the Pacific, uh, which means that France becomes the biggest country in the world in terms of EZ because of its colonies in the Pacific, was disappointed because of the, the shift in the uh, Australian you know, uh, decision. So uh, in, in some ways, you have the, the colonial powers and the subcolonial powers competing. And then, of course, the Pacific uh, finds itself in the, in the middle. No, and of course, uh, Australia becomes uh, a potential target, you know, in, in a, as mentioned earlier. And certainly the militarization, so sort of the nuclearization of Australia uh, by being part of the, uh, the military industrial complex, the US military industrial complex, uh, which extends its tentacles all around the world. And uh, now Australia is going to be centered right in the middle of it uh, in the Pacific. Also, one of the consequences is that it's against the spirit of the South Pacific Nuclear Free Zone Treaty, which was signed in uh, 1986. Uh, there were three protocols, and the protocol number one talks about no manufacture and so forth of uh, nuclear weapons. Now, there have been debate about uh, whether the submarine was, is, is a weapon or not. Uh, to me, it is a weapon. Uh, it depends very much on how you define weaponry. It's part of a military system. A nuclear submarine is meant for military purposes, uh, although it may not explode like a bomb, but uh, it's like splitting here, here. So uh, it, it's a direct uh, affront to the spirit of the South Pacific Nuclear Free Zone Treaty, especially uh, Protocol Number 1. And uh, in, in some ways, it becomes an insult to the signatories of the uh, treaty, uh, particularly the Pacific Island Forum countries who are signatories to that. And of course, New Zealand here, which is a nuclear-free neighbor, uh, what are they saying? What are we saying? Uh, well, a lot. Uh, I know Jacinda hasn't told off Morrison or anything like that, but certainly within the discussions in Aotearoa, New Zealand, there's a lot of uh, anxiety. There's a lot of anger. Uh, knowing that our nearest neighbor across the ditch, as they say, is going to be a nuclear power, is going to be a, a manufacturer of nuclear submarines at some point uh, in the future. So um, I remember when uh, the French were testing their bombs, the Australians were saying, oh, the French are full of uh, delusions of self-grandeur and so forth. And now I would say the same thing. Australia now is full of uh, delusions of self-grandeur. So what's the whole purpose of um, militarizing yourself in nuclear submarine? We realized that after the Cold War, a lot of this were destroyed because they were useless. Uh, total waste of money, waste of energy, waste of effort. So is it going to be another case of uh, what one might call futile, outdated, uh, mythical masculinity, the production of weaponry? And um, so uh, I suppose... 
it's time for the revival of the nuclear free independent Pacific movement, which started in the Pacific in the 19, in 1975. And I'm very heartened by the fact that uh, you mentioned Dimitri earlier, that you've had discussions, you have forums, you have a lot of networking in uh, Australia in response to what has happened. Uh, and I think it's important to kind of expand that. Uh, it's not only an Australian issue. It is a regional issue. It is a global issue. The, the militarization, the, the, uh, the, the global uh, military-industrial complex is, is, is huge. Uh, they feed into the wars. They feed into violence. They feed into death. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, and thanks so much for the opportunity. Vanaka Vakalevu. Um, Stephen, that's uh, wonderful to hear your thoughts. And I absolutely agree. This is not just an Australian issue. It just is that our government is being particularly aggressive and assertive in this space right now. And it actually does affect all of our region, as you say. Um, I think also if we look at, um, you know, the number of, uh, as you were pointing out, you know, the Pacific Island Forum states, the Rautonga Treaty, the South Pacific Nuclear Free Zone Treaty, but, uh, 10 of those Pacific Island foreign states are also members of the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And six of the ASEAN states have, um, have also ratified that. And three more have signed it. So we really are surrounded by a very strong and vocal um, anti-nuclear uh, position. It's just Australia has been deaf to that and we need to make them sit up and hear. So thank you again. Uh, Stephen, for your for your input. I had a question for Stephen about how he thinks this will play out within the Pacific Islands Forum at a time where the Pacific neighbours are talking very much about a, a new definition of security, particularly around climate change. Um, Frank Bainimarama, the current chair of the forum the other day, said that um, if we can spend trillions on missiles, drones and nuclear submarines, can we fund climate action? Um, and I think the timing of this is, is really significant. And I wonder if you could comment on that in terms of how people in the Pacific are going to react to the notion that Australia is, is moving down a path about uh, rearmament, you know, at a time where there's a desperate need for development finance, for climate finance and so on. Oh, we're not going to... Nice to meet you again. Uh, yeah, thanks for the, for the question. Very, very uh, timely question, particularly now where, uh, if you remember the, the Boat Declaration, uh, by the forum in uh, 2018 in Nauru, uh, where they uh, identified climate crisis as the uh, the major or the most significant security issue in the Pacific, uh, and that has been, if you like, the narrative. It has been part of the uh, forum thinking and the small island states thinking over the years, uh, and a lot of energy, a lot of resources, a lot of thinking uh, have been channeled into it. Now, all of a sudden, one of the uh, uh, colleagues uh, of the forum uh, has become a nuclear power. A lot of money, a lot of uh, resources, and of course, the whole controversy of geopolitical dynamics in the last few weeks has, has shifted towards Australia, which means that uh, a lot of small island states are asking the question, uh, why is Australia doing this? Uh, first of all, its uh, commitment to climate crisis, to the climate change, has been uh, has not been very, very encouraging. Uh, has been uh, dismal. Uh, and now its focus is to do with, you know, militarization, is to do with building up uh, its nuclear submarine fleet, uh, which means that a lot of resources which should have been used for 
for addressing the climate crisis is now being diverted elsewhere. So on one hand, you have Australia's stance being criticized for not too forthcoming in relation to its commitment to the climate crisis. And, uh, and then on top of that, uh, you have diversion of resources towards uh, the hard security aspect. Uh, and that leaves a lot of surveillance states beginning to ask the question, can we trust Australia as a neighbor, uh, as a member of the forum? And of course, a lot of criticism against Australia over the years has been the way it uses the forum as a means by which it, it establishes its entrenches, its uh, hegemonic control within the region. And using aid as a means by which is able to mobilize support and so forth. So, uh, yeah, that adds another layer of criticism of Australia's role in the region as a big power with a big stick, uh, with uh, the money being diverted towards uh, enhancing that power, that hegemonic uh, control, rather than for the purpose of addressing human security in relation to climate crisis in the region. Wonderful. Thank you, Stephen. Yes, the day before the AUKUS agreement came out, um, the organisation, the Climate Council here in Australia, just released yet another report showing that our greatest security threat is climate in this region and that this needs to be answered. So, you know, we've, we've heard this again and again and again, and yet here we are. Not 24 hours later, they were launching this agreement. That brings us to the end of today's radioactive show. We just heard from the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons co-founder Dimity Hawkins as MC and speakers James Bagwan, Marion Hansen and Stephen Rituva with a question from Nick McClellan. And thanks so much to Jem Rommel, the Australian Director of ICANN, for sharing the recordings of this open forum that was held on October the 12th. We'll be looking more into these issues of AUKUS in future shows, so keep tuning into the Radioactive show. And, of course, you can listen back to previous episodes on our webpage. It's 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. One of the upsides to the AUKUS announcement is the renewed invigoration of the peace and disarmament movement across the region. And it's such an important and exciting time to get involved. There's a couple of upcoming events that we really recommend you participate in and they're online so you can join from anywhere. So the Independent and Peaceful Australian Network has a Zoom meeting on the 2nd of November to discuss the formation of a broad national coalition campaigning against nuclear submarines and AUKUS. And you can go to the website ipan.org.au and you'll find the link to that event there. There's also the Raucous Anti-AUKUS Caucus who has the second meeting uh, coming up on November 4. And for all the details, go to renegadeactivist.org. Thanks so much for tuning into the Radioactive Show and join us again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.